Um, this morning we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 22. Um, I'm just going to read the whole chapter. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Geham, Tahash, and Makkah. Genesis 22 uh, really is kind of where we're going to turn the page on Abraham's story. We've been following him for a long time. Um, we've, I mean... 12 chapters? No, we picked him up in like Genesis chapter 12. So like 10 chapters have really just been focused 
on us following Abraham's story and his growth and the way that, that God has been working in his life and the things that God's been changing about him, um, the new identity that he's been growing him into, all of, the, all of the new things that he's been teaching him during all of this time. And this really is where we're going kind of, to kind of get to the end of the chapter on Abraham. This isn't the end of Abraham's story, but this is where the focus starts to shift away from Abraham and onto the next generation, his son Isaac, uh, after this. Um, and it's also kind of the place where we're going to see Abraham kind of take on his final form. Um, I don't know if you know what I mean by final form, but like, you know, when you think through like, I mean, you could think, I'm not going to make this a video game reference, but when you think through like storytelling, usually characters, both, both the antagonist and the protagonist are, are growing and developing and getting stronger throughout the story until you come to kind of the final culmination at the big ending confrontation. And, and so you kind of face each other's final form, the version of yourself that is the strongest and most ready. It's like every single episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, right? You fight the guys, then the guys get a little stronger, then you hop in robots, and the robots get a little stronger, then all the robots come together, you form the Megazord, and you blow up the enemy, right? Is everybody, is everybody on the same page with Power Rangers? I think, I think that kind of says best what it is that I'm talking about. Like, like this is, this is going to be Abraham kind of reaching kind of the completed version of his maturing, this is going to be the moment where Abraham finally is able to demonstrate all that he has learned through his, his time with God up to this point. Because we've seen Abraham struggle, we've seen him fail, we've seen him lie, we've seen him fear, we've seen him try to fix what God has not yet accomplished. We've seen Abraham try to take matters into his own hands. And, and, so, and so today, in Genesis chapter 22, this is really where Abraham is going gonna, is gonna to have all those things kind of click together. All of those things where he struggled, he's, he's not going to question. All of these times where, where maybe he's question, wondered whether or not God was actually going to provide the thing that he said he was going to provide, uh, that's not an issue for him anymore. And you've got to think, this, this, this interaction at the beginning of chapter 22, when, he first come, when God first comes to him and he says, you know, it, grab your son, your only son, the son that you love, or the son that you love, and take him and go to a mountain that I will show you. This, this echoes perfectly, right? We're talking kind of bookends to Abraham's story. This echoes perfectly God's first call of Abraham back when he was still Abram, right? And he said, hey, take your family, your whole household, pick up and leave and go to the place that I will show you. This has been the way that Abraham's interactions with God have been his whole life, is that, that God calls him and says, I just need you to trust me and start walking and I'll show you when you get there. He gives him a region, but he says, you're going to go to a mountain that I'll show you when the time comes. And, and Abraham doesn't, doesn't question it. He responds promptly. It says he got ready the next morning. Like the next morning, it's time to go. Come on, we have to go take care of this. And I think, and I think that's interesting, knowing what it is that God has called him to do. He knows that the call of God is, I need you to take your son and there sacrifice him on the mountain. And, that's, and that's, that's a scary thought. That's a thing that he would not naturally want to respond positively to. That's not a thing, it's a thing that if, if, if you were called to that sort of thing, something, something so difficult, something so painful, perhaps you would, you would not be like, okay, well, I've got to go fast. I've got to respond immediately. I've got I to quickly start pursuing this because this is the will of God. But yet, Abraham doesn't question. He responds promptly and starts getting ready the next morning. He just, he just obeys immediately. There's no doubt. There's no trying to figure out what God is doing in this. There's no, there's no moment where, where he's trying to say, you know, surely this isn't what you mean because, God, you said this, right? I mean, think about it. Before he had Isaac, he and Sarah both 
questioned whether or not God actually meant the things that he said he was going to do. He said, I'm going to come back in a year and you're going to have a son through Sarah. And they both laughed about it. This is a completely different, more mature version of Abraham that's ready to hear the call of God and is just ready to pursue him all the way, no questions asked. He trusts God completely and is able to follow him no matter the cost. And, and, and just to kind of give you an example, kind of a picture of who, where Abraham was at this point. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Uh, it'll be on the screen. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Which is a little bit of a spoiler for the end of the story, but we've already read the whole thing, so I know none of that's going to be surprising to you. But, but this is kind of where Abraham has gotten. He's gotten to the point where God's asking me to go sacrifice my son? Sure. And God also promised that he was going to complete his promises through Isaac? Sure. I absolutely believe that he's able to do that. Perhaps he's going to raise him back from the dead and give him back to me. Like, like there's, no, there's no doubt in his mind that God both can ask him to sacrifice his son to him and that he can also continue to fulfill the promises that he's made up until this point. No doubt, no questioning. He's just kind of expectant, waiting to see how it is that God is going to fulfill all the things that he said, which is a completely different place than he has been. And I think a place worth noting for us, a goal, a place that we should get to. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want us to realize. I'm going to, have, I'm going to have like three main points today. Here's your first one. The actions that we take while not leading to salvation reveal the completed work of salvation in us. So, so one thing that I want, to, I want to address right off the bat is it's not, I need you to sacrifice your son Isaac so that you can be one of my followers. And, and, and Abraham's obedience is what is required to make him a follower of God, to make him a true believer, even though it says that he was testing him, that God was testing him, testing his faith, seeing, seeing where he was. But the actions that he's going to take are not leading to his salvation, but they are going to reveal the completed transformation that God has been working out in Abraham's life. And that's true for us as well. The actions that we take, the way that we speak, the things that we do, the way we live our lives, the, the relationships that we maintain, or the, or the way that we speak to people, all of those things, the things, that, the things that dominate our attention, the things that dominate our focus, the things that we pursue, are all reflections of our heart, are all reflections of what it is that we love and desire to chase after. But none of those actions are just coming from within us. They, they are, they are what's a, ref, they're a reflection of where our faith is placed, the thing that we are hoping in the most. James 2, 21 through 22 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed in his works. Completed. Like, like his faith was working within him, but once it came to fruition, once, once the things that he did mimicked the things that he believed, if he, if he believed in God, if he had faith that God was able to even raise his son from the dead, the actions of saying, I'm ready to go, let's go tomorrow morning, and packing up and taking everybody and starting to walk 
toward the mountain that God would call him to. In that moment, that's, that's Abraham trusting God implicitly, completely, and saying, I'm going. And he's going to do something, and I'm not doubting it for even a second. That's the place that we want to be. The place where, where the actions that we take just reveal that God has completed this work of transformation in our hearts. We're no longer the people that we were prior to knowing God with, with all of the, the selfish desires and motivations that we once had. But rather now we have a new heart with a new set of desires. And we're excited to pursue the things of God no matter what those things may be. And that's, and that's kind of the conundrum. That's the question that Abraham had to face in this moment when he was called by God to take his son Isaac, the son that he loves. And I love that it includes that. Because it's like, this is not an easy ask from God. I want you to go. I want you to go out to this place, find this mountain that I'll show you, and there I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. And I was reading a couple of different articles, and I found one on the Gospel Coalition by this guy named Jeff Robinson. And, and he was talking about all of this, and, and he said the, the, con, the conundrum that Abraham was trying to have to fight through was would Abraham love the gift more than the giver? Right? Because God had given him this son that he loved. And the question that he was now being faced with is are you going to maintain that? Do, do you prefer to, to, to keep the gift or do you prefer to continue to pursue the one who gave it to you? God or Isaac? How is he going to respond? And we see the faith with which he demonstrates that. But that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. We have to know how to prioritize our call to follow Christ versus the way that we value even our families. Right? Because this is his son whom he loves. Right? But here's the thing. Point two. We are called to forsake all others in our pursuit of Christ and the carrying out of his mission, because only he is worthy of taking priority. Only Jesus, only the call of God, is worthy of being our number one priority in life. And yes, that includes every relationship that we have. That includes our spouse, that includes our parents, that includes our children, that includes our cousins, that includes our insert, insert relationship connection. And that's a, that's a hard thing to ask. So, so you're asking, so what are you saying that I'm supposed to do? Like I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to reject my family for the sake of God. If you are called to do so, that is exactly what you are supposed to do. You are not, you are not supposed to, for the sake of maybe protecting or, or guarding anyone, any relationship in your life, you, you should be willing to let go of any of those relationships for the sake of pursuing the call of God for the sake of carrying out the mission of God, for the sake of taking the Great Commission with you to some place. This is a sentiment that Jesus taught us. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. For whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Continuing on, this is Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him? him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for some terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These are, these are kind of hard passages to get, get our minds wrapped around sometimes because it's saying things like, if you, don't, if you don't hate your father and mother and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, you're not worthy of me. And what is it that he's trying to say? If you would choose any of these relationships over your relationship with Christ, over the pursuit of Christ and His calling, you cannot have Christ. It's Jesus and then everything else. Now, he's using words like hate, and hate's a strong word. How are we supposed to do with that? Because, because I don't think that at any point Abraham stopped loving Isaac. But if you're looking at the situation in the third person, if you're able to kind of remove yourself and watch this, what does it look like here when you see a guy tying up his son and laying him down prepared to kill him for the sake of God? That does not look very loving. That does not look to the rest of the world like that is something be any less than hate. He's willing to kill him right here. But, but his, his love and his desire to please God so outweighs even his love for his son that the love that he carries for his son begins to look like hate. And so that may mean that sometimes, many times, we're going to be called to put ourselves in situations that seem like they are less than ideal for our families, for the sake of our families. Maybe it's our relationships with our spouses or our kids or our, whatever it may be. And it may seem like, wow, that's not really helpful for them. Wow, that, that doesn't seem like a super, a super safe or nurturing place to be for someone. And here's the, here's the thing. If we aren't able to prioritize Jesus above all else in our lives, this, listen to that language. You are not worthy of me. They cannot be my disciple. Cannot. Like, like to be in Christ means to put Christ first above all else and to be willing to sacrifice all else, let go of everything else, even things that are good, even things that we are encouraged to love and relationships we are encouraged to nurture and, and children that we are encouraged in Scripture to raise up in Christ. All of it. These are all things that we are, yes, encouraged to do. But if, but if the raising of our children or the, the loving of our spouse or the maintaining a relationship with our parents come between us and the call of God, that is not a reflection of a heart that pursues Jesus. That heart cannot 
follow Christ, cannot be his disciple. That being said, does that mean that the moment you're saved, we all understand this and practice it perfectly? Absolutely not. Abraham got called 12, 10 chapters ago in chapter 12. And we've seen after that call how many times he's gotten it right, messed it up. Gotten it right, messed it up. Gotten it right, messed it up. And it's only now that we're starting to see all of this kind of play itself out. We're seeing the fruit bearing itself out in his life. His, his, his unwavering faith in God. His unwavering trust that God is going to be able to accomplish something amazing through him and through his son, even if he is willing to sacrifice his son. So I'm not saying that, that you are unsaved if you are not yet there. But if you don't see yourself progressing, moving in that direction, that should be a place for you to pause for, out of concern and say, where is my heart in this? What are the things that I'm prioritizing? What are the things? Because here's the thing. It is costly to follow Jesus. We face that daily. Right? He said in there, you have to count the cost of following me. Like, know what it is you're signing up for. If you throw your hat in the ring with Jesus, what is it that you're potentially saying? You're saying, I'm willing to lose my family. I'm willing to lose my, my job, my reputation. I'm willing to lose all my money. I'm willing to lose any and everything for the sake of him. He even says, if you are not willing to take up your cross, which doesn't mean the same thing to us now because we don't, we don't crucify people anymore. But it's saying, take up your instrument of torture and murder and death and say, I'll carry my own. Let's go. I'm ready to face whatever it is that I'm called to face for the sake of the call, the mission of God. I'm ready to abandon everything and take up my cross. I'm ready to abandon everything and just pursue Jesus wherever that will lead me. That is a, that is a hard calling. That is a hard place for us to get. And, and I think it's worth adding, I, I want you to love your families. I'm not saying, like, hate your families. I want you to love your, I want you to love your spouses. I want you to love your kids. Because all of that is a reflection of the way you love Jesus. But, but even still, when we face whatever the decision may be, Maybe it's, maybe it's you have a job and you're like, I want to maintain my job because if I don't maintain this job, I can't provide for my family. But I'm being called to this thing where I'll make less money so my family will have less. If God is calling you somewhere, get up the next morning and go. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Just go. Even, even if you don't understand how it is that he's going to get you through it, how it is that he's going to provide. If he is calling you there, he will take care of you. And that's where, that's where Abraham has gotten, right? He's, he's confident, even if I have to sacrifice my son, God can raise him up and give him back to me. Which in a sense, like, like Hebrews said, is what happened. Because in his mind, the whole time they're walking toward that mountain, right? And it says he lays the the wood on him, so he's basically carrying his own instrument of death, his own cross, right? His son's ready to go, and they're walking up that mountain together. In, in Abraham's mind, Isaac's already dead. Like, he, he's already thinking through, how's God going to figure this out post what's about to happen? But he confidently says to him, when he says, where's the lamb for the offering? He says, God will provide. God will, God will make a way. God will make sure that there is something here for us. And this is the beautiful picture. Point number three. Jesus was the only one who could step in and save our lives when we were facing death. 
Because the ram that they found was God providing a substitution for his son. A perfect sacrifice in that moment to cover, to cover and replace Isaac's life. His life was saved because of the sacrifice of another. That God had provided. And just like that ram, Jesus is the only one who is a perfect substitutionary sacrifice for us, for our sins, to prevent us from being the ones who are sentenced to death for the sin that is present within us. And if, and, and if we miss what it is that God does in this moment, he, he, he rewards Abraham's faith. He says, I see that you aren't even willing to hold back your son from me. Your only son, the son that you love. You're not, you're not, willing, to, you're not willing to keep him selfishly. We're not, you're not willing to say, no, this is not the way that God would want this to happen. God said his promises were going to be fulfilled through Isaac, so no, I'm not going to do that. He's saying, you were willing to let go of anything because of your faith in me, because of your love for me, because of your willingness to obey me. And now... I'm going to save your son's life and I'm going to replace him. I'm going to provide a new sacrifice just, just like Jesus. And I want us to take some time now just to kind of think about what that means because think about the emotion that Abraham had to be feeling in that moment. He did not stop loving his son. He just desired to pursue the call of God above that. He wasn't going to let that prevent him from obeying. Think of the weight and the emotion that he felt. Because it says he tied him, he laid him down, and he was raising the knife ready to kill his son when God stopped him. Imagine the relief and the emotional, like, overwhelming sense that he would feel in that moment when God says, stop. I have another way. There is another plan. And then, think of your own life. Because that's what has happened for you. you. You are sentenced to death. You are called to lose everything, and yet God sent his son. And you don't have to face that death anymore. Sure, in pursuit of him, it might mean that you lose some earthly relationships. Sure, it might be hard. Sure, you might be called to literally take up your cross and die for the sake of following Jesus. But in the end, you get Jesus. You don't die and are taken away and separated from him forever in eternal punishment and pain and death. Think of that emotion that Abraham felt when he got his son back. That's the same kind of emotion that we get. And ten times that when we get Christ, when we're given life, when we're given a new thing to love more than anything else. And in that moment, when the angel is talking to Abraham, what is it that he says? He says, you know, through your family, all of these amazing things are going to happen. But then look at what happens back in verses 15 through 18. I'll just turn back over to it. Verses 15, it says, The angel Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself have I sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, I have not withheld your son, your only son, and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And of your offspring, 
and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Listen to that transition there. His enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It starts with this picture of, I'm going to multiply you. I'm still going to accomplish all of these things. But then, very quickly, it focuses back down to one descendant, one person. That one person being Jesus. Because you, weren't, you haven't even withheld your son and you were willing to sacrifice him... Now, we, I, see, I see the faith and the completion of the work of faith building in you that is now at work. And now I can say, look, all of this is now going to happen. We're ready to move on. Like I said, we're turning the page. This is no longer Abraham getting ready to become the father of nations. It's like, it's time. Here we go. Let's start going. It's Isaac's turn. We're going to multiply. But in the end, it's all going to come back down to one guy who will overcome. And it says his enemies. It's speaking about one person. And that one person is Jesus. All of this is now going to continue to work because, because at no point, at no point in Genesis have we left the idea that all of this is talking about Christ and talking about the way that God is going to repair the broken relationship that we have with him because of the presence of sin. At no point has God, you know, shifted his attention away from his desire to, to bring about salvation in a way that brings glory to him. And this is a major milestone in the history of our faith. This is the moment when we first see God replacing somebody who was ready to die with a, with a lamb right there in the moment saying, this is it. This is the perfect picture of what is to come. This is who Christ will be and this is what Christ will do, but on a much grander scale. And in a way that means that we have new life and new hope and a new relationship with God that, that stands higher above everything else. So as you are looking at your life, if you don't know Jesus, start with that. Know Him. Believe in Him. Believe in Christ and, and, and begin pursuing Him and letting Him change your heart, change your, what you put your faith in, the things that you put your hope in, the things that you desire more than anything else. Let Him begin to take the place of those things. And then also examine your life. What are the, what are the idols? What are the things that you are holding on to too closely? Is it your family? Is it some relationship in your life? Not that you should stop continuing to pursue, but that you should stop allowing to hinder your ability to pursue the call of God in your life. Let us examine our own hearts and be so overwhelmed by the beauty of who Jesus is and what it is that he wants to accomplish through his church that he is calling together out of sin and into new life. Let's pray. God, there are some hard things in this. You called someone to be willing to sacrifice his own son for the sake of pursuing you. And God, as we remain detached from the stories, we read it here presently, not having to face that. It's easy to say, Wow, what a good thing Abraham did. But were we, were we given the same call? Were, you, were we put in the same position where we had to choose? We had to choose you over 
the safety, the comfort, the financial security of our family. God, I pray that you would reveal to us what our reaction to that would be even now. Because God, I would imagine that for most of us, myself included, it would not be easy for us to just pick up the next morning and start going. So God, I pray that you would reveal where our hearts are in our pursuit of you where we prioritize you. And God, I pray that you would show us what idols are present in our lives, what relationships or things or pursuits or what things we think we need that make us feel better than our desire for you and having you close to us. God, for those in here who maybe haven't even begun that journey with you, I pray now that they would see that the life that they are living, the things that they are pursuing are not going to provide ultimately the satisfaction that they want. And that their relationship with you is broken from the start because of the presence of sin in their life. And God, I just pray that you would open their eyes to see that you have already made a way through the sacrifice of your son the son that you love, that you did not withhold from us for the sake of our salvation. And God, I just pray that you would change their hearts now and and change their desires and give them a new understanding of what it means to be repentant and surrendered to you and having faith to believe and follow you. God, like Paul said, I believe in you, but help my unbelief. Sometimes these callings that you give us are are hard. They're tough things to ask. And God, I pray that when we see those, we we would not shrink and shy away, but God, that we would be a people who who see the beauty of the call set before them, the mission that you have called us to, specifically even here at CRC, that we would, we would see the mission set before us. We would see the lives that we can share the gospel with. We would see the potential for what it is that you can do with us. And even though it's hard, and even though sometimes it may cause us to lose relationships, or it may cause us to lose some comfort, or it may cause us to lose some manner of safety or security, that, God, we would value you so much higher and passionately head forward in faith knowing that you have called us to this and that you are going to do something amazing through this. God, we love you. And I just pray that we would continue to be amazed at what it means that your son died for our sake and that we could have that same, that same emotion within us that Abraham must have felt in that moment when he got his son back. God, that we would so passionately and be so overwhelmed by your love for us that we can't help but respond to you with with all glory and all praise and just complete and total surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.